Welcome to Right to the Point, a podcast featuring honest conversation and biblical solutions to America's cultural challenges. Hi, I'm Tim Throckmorton of LifePoint Ministries. To learn more about LifePoint and to access past episodes of Right to the Point podcast or commentary, and if you'd like to support the podcast, visit LifePointUSA.org. Let me just share a few things from my heart today and our time together. I want to begin uh, because recently I had the privilege of spending time with the chaplain of the United States Senate, retired Rear Admiral Barry C. Black. I was in his Capitol Hill office with him, and we had a wonderful conversation about him, about his journey to ministry, how God uh, placed him there. We spoke of chaplains past, like Peter Marshall, Lloyd John Ogilvie, whose prayers were so very memorable and uh, effective in the United States Senate. And in in a deep baritone voice before I left, he said, Pastor Tim, can I pray for you? As he concluded his prayer for me, he began to quote the words of Paul in the third chapter of his letter to the Ephesian church when he said this, that he would grant you according to his riches in glory to be strengthened with the might of his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. And you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and the depth, and the height, to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory and and praise in the church of Jesus Christ throughout ages. Unto him be glory without end. Amen. What an incredible blessing it was to receive that. His, his powerful prayer reminds me of the moment of stewardship that God has entrusted to each of us as we live for him and honor him in this moment in America's history. If you've heard me speak, you've heard me talk about the three illiteracies that we have prevailing in culture today. Biblical illiteracy, according to George Barna's latest research, only 6% of Americans have a true biblical worldview. and That's uh, very, very disheartening because worldviews are formed between the ages of 2 and 13. And of the children in America, between those ages, only about 2% of those people who are raising those children have a biblical worldview. What an amazing moment. God's entrusted to our stewardship. Not only is there biblical illiteracy, there is historical illiteracy. We don't know the history of our great nation, where we came from, uh, what, what our what our uh, foundation found, founding principles are. We need to know that because if we forget that, we might lose the wonderful freedom that we enjoy and the peace that is brought to the world because of who America is. And then there's civic illiteracy civic illiteracy. That's that's the problem of not understanding how government works. Many in America don't understand what kind of government we have, let alone how that it works. Now, when folks don't know their Bible and they don't know our history and they don't know how government works, anybody can say just about anything. And many people believe it. Let me tell you how I got involved. 
After a career in the corporate world, I was called into full-time ministry in 1996, pastoring the Plymouth Heights Church of the Nazarene in Franklin Furnace, Ohio. While there, uh, I began to work in radio and then to work some with uh, Daystar Television, which had a, uh, a production facility and a station in Iceland, Kentucky. While there, I met a bunch of pastors. And so it was in about 2004 that the marriage amendment ended up on the ballot in Ohio, clearly defining marriage as between one man and one woman. Now, that happened because one man, Phil Burris, in Cincinnati, Ohio, who was the president of uh, the CCV, which is the Family Policy Council here in Ohio, and th th he thought, because Massachusetts legalized same-sex marriage in 2004, he thought something should be done that in Ohio, that we should take a stand and define marriage biblically. No one in the state legislature or in Congress or the Senate or the governor's mansion felt like helping him because of a very toxic issue. Though they were all Republicans, they didn't want to stand for life or didn't want to stand, excuse me, for marriage. And so they, they didn't. One person did. His name was Ken Blackwell. He's Secretary of State. He helped working with Alliance Defending Freedom craft the language for the petitions to get it on the ballot. And in Ohio, just a certain number of um, Ohioans signing a petition can change the constitution of the state. And so I was involved because of the number of pastors I knew and worked with. They, they reached out. We went all around uh, Southern Ohio, Central Ohio, passing out petitions, collecting petitions, and over 650,000 names went on petitions calling for an amendment to be added to the ballot in November of that year in 2004 that would define marriage as between one man and one woman, defining marriage biblically. Well, a unique thing happened. I, I was asked to go around the state at different meetings, and I got to hear David Barton and Bob McEwen share over and over our biblical heritage, the mandate that we have in America to be Christian citizens, and uh, it was just uh, too much. I, I was I was overwhelmed by this information that I had known a little about, but didn't know everything about. And so I began to see how important it was for pastors to speak biblically to cultural issues. Something happened in 2004 that isn't talked about often, but it is worth noting. George W. Bush won Ohio. We all know no president in the Republican Party has ever won the presidency without winning Ohio. Well, no Republican has ever won Ohio without winning two of the three major population centers, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Columbus, those three, those are where the majority of people are in Ohio. They're big clusters of, of population, uh, Cuyahoga County and Cleveland, Franklin County, Columbus, Hamilton, Butler County, and Cincinnati. You've got to get two out of those three to win the state. In 2004, however, George W. Bush lost all three and, and a few other prominent areas in the state. However, he won the presidency. He won the state of Ohio because Christians voted their values. And for me, it was a it was quite a moment. It was a moment that I will never forget. It kind of set me on a trajectory of understanding who we are and who we're called to be in the time that God's entrusted to us 
in America's history. As Talmadge Johnson, an old mentor of mine, said one time, the world at its worst needs the church at its best. And right now, the world needs the church more than ever. And that leads me to a column I wrote recently in a magazine called The Remnant. It's part of the Holiness Partnership uh, movement in the Church of the Nazarene. And I was honored to be asked to contribute a column. And the title I was given was, Can We Engage in Politics? That's the question. Can we engage in politics? I want to read you this this article and then make a few remarks in in our time together today, kind of setting the stage for what we need to do and who we need to be as believers in this moment. And so I I invite you, you can go, you can see the article at the uh, holdingthispartnership.com. You can check it out there along with some other great writers. But I want to share with you what I wrote because this ties in to my personal story. Uh, I had a Muhlenberg moment, and you'll understand what that means when I read this to you. Can we engage in politics? His name was Peter, and he was there. He was in the room personally when an impassioned leader from Virginia by the name of Patrick Henry addressed critical issues. His concerns were valid, and more importantly, his perspective was biblical. He knew the numerous accounts in Scripture affirming the role of pastors and prophets in their interaction with civil government. Even the Lord spoke truth to error regarding cultural situations. He then wisely employed his understanding of Scripture, its timely relevance to his congregation. You see, Pastor Peter Gabriel Muhlenberg was not only involved in the local political process in Virginia, he also served as pastor of a church in Woodstock, Virginia. In April 1776, after preaching from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse number 1, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, he closed his message by saying, in the language of holy writ, there is a time for all things. There's a time to preach and a time to fight. You are placed by providence in the post of honor because it's the post of danger. The eyes of not only North America and the whole British Empire, but all of Europe are upon you. Let us be, therefore, altogether solicitous, so that no disorderly behavior, nothing unbecoming our character as Americans, as citizens, and Christians be justly chargeable to us. In other words, the world's watching. We need to get this right. He then removed his pastor's robe, revealing his blue continental officer's uniform. He asked the men of his church to join him in the Continental Army. 300 joined, forming the 8th Virginia Regiment that would fight for the cause of freedom, paving the way for the freedoms we still enjoy today. America's founders affirmed that God was supreme over earthly governments. To them, any attempt to separate government from godly principles would mean the death of a nation. As George Washington wisely reminded Americans of all the dispositions and, habit, uh, and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion, and morality are indispensable supports. In vain would that man claim tribute to patriotism, of patriotism, who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human <clears throat> happiness, these firmest props of the duties of men and citizens. In 2014, while in Jerusalem, I was with a small delegation 
at Temple Mount, where we met a group of Israeli leaders, including Uzi Landale, Israeli's uh, Minister of Tourism. After a brief meeting, while being introduced, he asked me what I did, and I explained I was a pastor from Ohio. Oh, a pastor, he said. We know that if the church in America is strong, then America will be good. And if America <clears throat> is good, then Israel will be blessed. Just think for a second about that. A member of the Israeli cabinet understood just how important the church has been and still is in America. I am convinced that a biblical worldview speaks clearly to every area of life, including political engagement. In fact, the Bible speaks about civil government and often provides examples, examples of faithful engagement. The Old Testament teaches us that Joseph and Daniel served in civil government, exerting influence to further the flourishing of their nations. Paul also advocates uh, this approach. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and for we have we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And again, as Talmadge Johnson wisely said, the world at its worst needs the church at its best. It's a fact of life that politics are unavoidable. Paul, Paul in his appeal to uh, his Roman citizenship is a model of this. In, in an American context, which uh, this takes on added significance because of the words prefacing the Constitution, we, the people in the United States, the ultimate authority, by the way, uh, sovereignty is entrusted to the people. This really makes politics unavoidable for American citizens to control their political future. You have to be involved because politics have real world implications for Christian evangelism, missions, and preaching the gospel. Christians ought to engage in the political process, advocating for laws and policies that contribute to human flourishing. In a very real sense, politics is one of the more important areas which Christians demonstrate their love to their neighbors. How can Christians claim to care about others and not engage in the arena that most profoundly shapes the the rights and freedoms of themselves and their friends and neighbors. Government restrains evil and promotes good. Government derives its authority from God to promote and restrain evil. Elsewhere, Paul urges that prayers be made for kings and all who are in high places that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Paul understood the need for Christian participation in government. Good government encourages an environment conducive for people living peaceably, whereas bad government fosters unrest and instability. Because of sin, the legitimate institution of government has, at times, been used illegitimately through history. However, numerous examples persist of Christians reasserting their influence and redeeming government to promote good and restrain evil. In How Christianity Changed the World, Alvin Schmidt documents Christian influence in government. Examples include um, outlawing infanticide, child abandonment, and gladiatorial games in ancient Rome, ending the practice of human sacrifice among European cultures, and banning pedophilia and polygamy and prohibiting, prohibiting the burning of widows in India. William Wilberforce, a committed Christian, 
was the force behind the successful effort to abolish the slave trade in England. In the United States, two-thirds of abolitionists were Christian pastors. Talk about making a difference in culture. Carl Henry rightfully stated that Christians should work through civic authority for the advancement and justice of human good to provide critical illumination, personal example, and vocational leadership. Jeremiah 29, 7 says, But seek ye the welfare of the city, wherein I have sent you into exile, and pray, the, pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Referring to Babylon, the prophet recognized that secular government served a legitimate plan and purpose in God's plan for Israel. Today, good governments promote literacy, advance just laws, provide religious liberty, and allow churches to preach and teach. Christian witness in the public square contributes transcendent values about moral and ethical issues. Christian withdrawal, however, opens a moral vacuum, susceptible, susceptible to influences that pressure government to move outside its purview, re recognized and designated by God. Public uh, politics, politics affects government, shapes society, and influences culture. Christians must care about politics, and the easiest way to be involved is by voting. Remember, every elected official from dog catcher to president only represents the values of the people who vote. You and I have been entrusted with an incredible moment of stewardship at this moment in history, and especially in the history of the United States of America. We have been entrusted with a season of witnessing the foundation of morality destroyed and biblical principles torn asunder and relegated to the trash heap of history by those whose inclinations are in no way biblical. I have heard it said the fruit of our lives grows on the trees of others. May those who follow us know the fruit of freedom. It's worth remembering that Pastor Peter Gabor Muhlenberg went on to serve in the United States House and Senate. His brother, Frederick Augustus Muhlenberg, served as Speaker of the House of Representatives and signed the Bill of Rights. Can we engage in politics? That was the question. We can and we must be salt and light in our nation in every way. Well, that's the column. That's the article that I wrote, and it's available at the Holiness Partnership Dot com and I'd love you to, to, to uh, share that with others. But it encapsulates really my story and why I got involved in the first place and why I do what I do now for the Family Research Council. I still preach every week somewhere. I teach a Bible study on Saturday mornings to godly men at the church I attend, but I'm engaged. I'm speaking biblically to what's happening in culture, and I I want us all to realize the urgency of this moment. I have two grandchildren, Kyrie and Spencer, and there are many times that I have left on Mondays or even on Sundays and said goodbye to them and wished I could have seen them throughout the week, but I, I couldn't. It's, it's that important to me to miss some of the most precious moments that I've had in my lifetime with my grandkids, and it's their future that really encourages me to do something in this moment. There are millions and millions of grandbabies all over America who are counting on you and I to do the right thing in this moment. So it's my prayer that we will, that we will speak biblically to culture, that we will engage. Now, this 
podcast, Right to the Point, is part of LifePoint Ministries. Uh, I, have, I have a column that I write each and every week that is archived at lifepointusa.org. You can check that out. encourage you to do so. I also have a Right to the Point commentary that's a radio piece that goes out to a number of stations around the country based on that column that happens each and every week. And this podcast that you're joining me uh, on today is something that we launched recently. And I want to thank you for tuning in and thank you for uh, listening. For those of you that want to support this podcast, you can go to lifepointusa.org. The link will be with this wherever you see it, and you can check that out. You can see how you can support the podcast there. I greatly appreciate it. I am convinced that we are called to make a difference in this moment. And again, for the third time, I'm saying this, the world at its worst needs the church at its best. When we engage, when when the church engages, then it brings blessing. When the righteous rule, the people rejoice. When the wicked uh, reign, the people mourn. And we can make a difference in this moment. And I am encouraging us to do just that. You want to know more? Again, go to lightpointusa.org. Thanks for tuning in to Right to the Point. God bless you, and we'll see you next time. God bless you.